0: Um, we, As you know, we are in a, a series called The Story, and we're going over the major stories of the Bible. Chronologically, we're going through the whole Old Testament, as you can see through the videos at the beginning of each message. Um, we're in the part of Israel's history where kings begin to rule Israel. So real quick, we understand as, so far as we've been studying that God took uh, the Israelites out of captivity, out of Egypt. Over 430 years, they were captive in Egypt brought them into wilderness for 40 years, then eventually brought them into the promised land uh, through the leadership of Joshua to conquer uh, that land. And then eventually God would raise up kings to lead them. Now, this was not God's original plan. What happened is, is God was very careful with Israel to warn them not to look at the countries around them for this reason. They worshiped foreign gods and God knew that the hearts of the Israelites would turn to those gods and they would begin to worship those gods instead of the Lord, their God, Yahweh. And so what begins to happen is they begin to look at the countries around them and they say, well, we want to be, we want to look like them because, um, you know, we, we want a king to lead us. We want a king to lead us into war. We want, we want one that's going to, um, help us to defeat our enemies. Now, if they would originally listen to the Lord, and obey the Lord, their enemies would have been subdued around them. But because they backslid and they turned their hearts away from the Lord, these enemies would rise up and conquer them and subdue them. And so it was, this, it was just a circular uh, problem with Israel that God would raise up leaders to help defeat them. And then for a while they'd be okay. And then they'd turn their backs on the Lord. And then their enemies would come again and again. And they thought, well, the answer is going to be if we have a king... To lead us. And if we have a king to lead us, then this is this is going to be the answer for us. And what happens is God raises up this prophet named Samuel. And what Samuel does is he goes before the Lord and, and, and he asks the Lord, What should we do? And the Lord says, Give in to their desires, and I want you to anoint a king to lead Israel. But God said this to Samuel He said, Samuel, I want you to warn them of what will happen if you have a king. That leads you. It's not going to be everything they think it's going to be. It's not going to be uh, wonderful for them. It's going to be very difficult for them. And I want to read Samuel the prophet's warning to Israel on what will happen. And we can see in the video what began to happen when kings began to lead them. And let me give you that warning because this is important. And so God laid everything out on the table for them through his prophet Samuel and in 1 Samuel chapter 8. If you got your Bibles, just turn there. Cuz I want to read this to you because this is so important because from this point forward, we're going to see Israel go through a very turbulent time in their spirituality and in, in their walk with God. So 1 Samuel Chapter 8, we're going to look at verses 10 through 20. And this is Samuel's warning against the kingdom because God wanted to ultimately be their king. God wanted to rule them. God wanted to lead them, not have a man do this. And so here's Samuel's warning. It says, So Samuel passed on the Lord's warning to the people who were asking him for a king. And he says, This is how a king will reign over you, Samuel said. The king will draft your sons and assign them to his chariots. And to his charioteers, making them run before his chariots, some will be generals and captains in his armies, some will be forced to plow in his fields and harvest his crop, and some will make his weapons weapons and chariot equipment. The king will take your daughters from you and force them to cook and bake and make perfumes for him. He will take away the best of your fields and the vineyards and olive groves and give them to his own officials." He will take a tenth of your grain and your grape harvest and distribute it among his officers and attendants. He will take your male and female slaves and demand for the finest of your cattle and donkey for his own use. He will demand a tenth of your flock and you will be his slaves. And when that day comes, you will beg for relief from this king. You are demanding, but then the Lord will not help you. So you'd think they'd say, no, that's okay. We don't want that. But their hearts were so hardened. Listen to the response. But the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, they said, we still want a king. And they said, we want to be like who? The nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. How many of you, even though you knew the warnings, even though you knew the stipulations of what might happen, you still ended up doing it. I can remember when I was a kid, there was this gum, and I don't know if they still have this gum. It's called fruit-striped gum. And it actually has stripes on it, like the different flavors of gum. And when I was a kid, my parents told me, Barden, we're going to give you this pack of gum, but don't eat all the gum. Just have one piece. Now, as a as an eight-year-old, you think I would have, listen to my parents or however I was young. Maybe I was 18, I don't know. I think I was seven. But anyways, um, so I got this pack of gum and I ate, it was like the big double pack gum and I ate the whole thing. Not only did I eat the whole thing, but I, it was such a big wad of gum, I swallowed the whole thing because I had to hide the evidence because I knew I was going to get in trouble. So what happened was I had this and I got sick and I basically just threw up. And to this day, if I even smell fruit Stripe gum, I, start to, I, just start to, I just start to throw up in my mouth. I can't, don't even get it around me. Don't even fool around, okay? Don't even email me a picture of it because I will have gag reflexes all day. I can't stand it. I can't smell it. I will just to this day, I will throw up. But I knew better. I knew the warnings. My parents said, do not eat more than one. Do not swallow it. Because if you do, it's going to remain in your stomach for seven years. That is the live from the pit of hell. That never doesn't happen. So I knew better, but I still did it. I still ate the whole pack of fruit strike gum. And to this day, I'm still paying for it. Because if I smell it, I gag. So um, here, here's the thing about Israel. They knew the warnings. They knew not to do it, but they still wanted a king so, so here's what we've studied so far. We've looked at three kings so far. We looked at King Saul. He was the first king. He was a good military leader, but he was a bad spiritual leader. He didn't really follow the Lord. He didn't completely listen to the Lord. God took his hand off of him. In the last couple weeks, we studied King David. He was probably one of the greatest leaders, was the greatest leader of, of Israel because he was a man after God's own heart. But David's heart led him astray and he sinned greatly. And because of that... Um, his family wasn't the greatest. He wasn't the greatest father, but he did repent. He did turn to the Lord. He did have a heart for God, but still there was problems within his life. And then David's own son, Solomon, would rise up and he would be the leader and he would be, build the temple for the Lord. And At the beginning, it was really great in his reign. He had, a, he had, a, he, he had the right um, attitude. He wanted wisdom from the Lord to correctly lead the Israelites. And from the very beginning, it was very great. Uh, he was doing a good job. He built the temple to house the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, where God's presence would be, where people could worship, where they could offer their sacrifices, that God could be the center of their lives, this, the, the center of that country, that, that they could worship him and know God. But what happened to Solomon is that he allowed his foreign wives, had a thousand wives, to lead him astray, to bring in these foreign gods and actually set up idols around the country that they might worship Them and from that would lead to the spiritual decay of Israel. And, and as I said this last week, th- what leads to our spiritual decay is usually not some outside force or trial. It's usually the moral decay within our own hearts. That, and that's exactly what happened to Israel. Um, this is what we see in Solomon's reign. Solomon's divided heart would eventually lead to a divided nation, as we saw in the video. But let me be honest with you this morning. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen a marriage divide over a physical trial. It's, it's usually from, from wrong, sinful choices that, that, that division occurs. And Solomon's divided heart was the crack that literally split this kingdom of Israel into two. And so what happened was this. The kingdom of Israel would divide in two and, and you, you had 12 tribes of Israel. And what would happen is you would have 12 tribes that would align in the north and you'd have two that would align in the south called Judah. You had northern Israel and then you would have Judah. And Rehoboam, Solomon's son, would rule Judah and Jeroboam would rule in the north because people weren't agreeing with Rehoboam's rule and the way he wanted to lead. And he wasn't taking... Wisdom. He wasn't following the Lord. And so because of this, it caused a huge rift within the country. Now, both of them would not serve the Lord and they would lead Israel further and further away from God's heartbeat. And so what I want to read for you today, I want to read to you how Jeroboam rebels against Solomon and where this starts and how a prophet came to Jeroboam and said, listen, this is what's going to happen. This, it was already through a prophet was warned to them that this country would split because of their lack of spirituality, and wanting to follow the Lord. And it's found first in 1 Kings chapter 11 verses 26 through 33. Let me read this to you. It's very important um, uh, that we understand this. So let's read through the scripture here and understand the split between Israel and what began to happen, because this sets really sets up for us. This sets the table for us. Um, the lack of spirituality in Israel, and hopefully we learn a lesson from this maybe within our own hearts and our own lives. So we want to contextualize it to to our our lives and, and what we live in today. It says another rebel leader was Jeroboam, son of Nebat, one of Solomon's own officials. And he came from Zerudah and Ephraim, and his mother was Zeruah, a widow. This is the story behind the rebellion. Solomon was rebuilding the supportive terraces and repairing the walls of the city of his father, David. Jeroboam was a very capable young man. And when Solomon saw how industrious he was, he put him in charge of the labor force from the tribes of Ephraim, Manasseh, and the descendants of Joseph. One day, as Jeroboam was leaving Jerusalem, a prophet, Ahijah, From Shiloh met him along the way, and Ahijah was wearing a new cloak. The two of them were alone in the field. And I want you to listen to what Ahijah says here. What he does is he takes hold of his new cloak that he was wearing and he tore it into 12 pieces. And then he said to Jeroboam, Take 10 of these pieces, for this is what the Lord God of Israel says I'm about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon, and I will give 10 of the tribes to you. But you will leave him one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. And so for Solomon, here's the reason why. He has abandoned me and worshiped Asherah, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Chemosh, the god of Moab, and and Molech, the god of the Ammonites. He He has not followed my ways and he's done what's not pleasing in my sight. He has not obeyed my decrees and regulations as his father David had done. And so what you're going to see here over the history of Israel is kings ruled Israel. You're going to have a total of 39 kings that would rule. 20 would rule in Judah, 19 in Israel in the north. And for the majority of the kings, the majority of the kings did not serve the Lord. And both of these kings, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, acted very foolishly before the Lord and led Israel and their people further into destruction and immorality. And so Jeroboam, as you saw in the video, still served other gods and did completely what was evil in the sight of the Lord. But what I want to focus on is Rehoboam, because from the very beginning, he had a chance to listen to the Lord and to follow even in the ways of his grandfather, David. But Rehoboam began to ask for questions on how he should lead and he got wisdom. And so what he did was he goes to his father's um, officials and he's gonna ask them, how should he lead? Because he's very young, but he's got two people that he can ask wisdom from. He's got the older men who are much more wise and have seen the destruction of his father. And then he's got his buddies. And he's going to ask his buddies how he, should, how he should lead. Now, what's interesting about this, his own father, when he asked to lead, went before the Lord first and said, how do you want me to lead, God? I want wisdom. And God says, I'll give you anything you want. And Solomon says, well, I want wisdom to lead. And that pleased the Lord's heart. So Rehoboam goes, he doesn't go to the Lord. He doesn't seek the counsel of the Lord. What he ends up doing is seeking the counsel of these, these elderly men and his buddies. Now, how many know that this is not going to go well? How many know this is this isn't going to go well for a young guy? How many young guys listen to older wise men? We 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 would not be in the mess we are today. Can I get an amen? We just listen to some wisdom. How many know when you were a teenager you didn't think your parents were that smart, and the older and older you got, you're like, my goodness, my parents are geniuses, right? <laughs> Especially when you're on your own in your twenties and you got to pay your bills, you're like, wow, my parents really know what what they were talking about, right? They get real smart the older you get. So here we have a young leader and he's not very smart. So he takes on uh, these two uh, sides of the story to try to gain wisdom. So let's pick up the story here. First Kings chapter 12, verses 11 th- or six through 11. And let's see what happens here. It says, then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who stood before Solomon, his father, while he was yet alive, saying, How do you advise me to answer these people that want me to lead them? And they said to them, listen, this is such good wisdom. He says, if you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them, when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. How many would say that's good wisdom, right? We would say, yes, you'd think, wow, wow. Do it, Rehoboam. That's really good wisdom. But what does he do? Is this young buck, Rehoboam. What he does is he abandons the counsel of the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men that he had grown up with. How many know that's not going to go well? How many of you listen to your friends that you grew up with and you got in a lot of trouble for doing that? Can I get an amen? Right? You knew that wasn't going well. So here he does. He stands before them and he says to them, what do you advise me to answer them? Uh, to these people that you said to me uh, that I should lighten the yoke that your father has put on us. And then the young men who he had grown up with said to him, you shall speak to this people who say to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but you lightened it for us. Thus shall you say to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. Uh Uh-oh. Verse 11. And now, whereas my father laid a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, I will discipline you with scorpions. And so, guess who Rehoboam listens to? He listens to his buddies. Every single one of us, if we had friends like that, we all got in trouble listening to our friends. We did stupid things listening to our friends. We did crazy things from listening to our friends. Like when my friend said, let's give the Skippy, the ice cream man, Monopoly money. Let's see if we can fool him and give him Monopoly money for ice cream. So we went up and we gave Skippy, we just call him Skippy the Jippy. But we Skippy, we gave Skippy um, Monopoly money and he did give us something. You know what he gave us? He gave us a piece of paper, a wrapper, a, a, out of the garbage can. So, And then he tore off and never came to our neighborhood again. But anyways, or you listen to your friends like, you know, your parents were saying, what were you thinking? Like you're jumping off the roof with an umbrella, thinking that you're going to float around like Mary Poppins, right? That just doesn't work, listening to your friends. So this is the issue with Rehoboam. He, he never went to the Lord and asked him. So Rehoboam was led with pride and arrogance. And so he thought by ruling with an iron fist, the people were going to respond to him. And this is what I love about the voice of Jesus. Jesus is called in the New Testament, a good shepherd. And and a good shepherd leads with his voice. The sheep follow the voice of the shepherd. He never drives the sheep. He leads the sheep. And where does he lead the sheep? Psalm 23 leads them to still waters, to quiet waters, to places where they can, they can find green grass and graze, places where they're going to be protected from the enemy. And where Rehoboam went wrong is he thought by leading with an iron fist, the people are going to follow him out of fear. That doesn't work. And Jesus doesn't work that way in our lives. Thank God Jesus doesn't work that way in our lives. Because, you know, we would follow him out of fear for a little bit, but then we would just rebel. But Jesus leads us as a good shepherd. One that that not only leads, but one that leads the way by laying down his own life for us. One that says, I've not come to be served, but to serve you. And to give my life as a ransom for you. That's the savior we have. That's the tender hardness. Of Jesus Christ to lead us correctly and to follow, for us to follow His example of what it truly means to be a leader. And so, what we see in Rehoboam is he never went to the Lord. We see where his heart was, but there's something else that's even more sad about Rehoboam, as we see in his leadership over many several years of, of leading Judah, there's a little story here that many of us will miss if we just casually read through the Old Testament, especially through the reign of Rehoboam. And there's something I want you to catch here in this little story that, that doesn't seem like a big deal, but to me is a huge deal. And I want to contextualize this to our very lives because this is something that we can miss in the story. And I want to bring this out for you because this shows us exactly where Rehoboam's heart truly was. And it's found just in a couple chapters over in 1 Kings chapter 14. And what happens here is um, the king of Egypt is going to go up and and attack northern Israel, but he has to go through uh, Judah in order to do this. And so Rehoboam knows this. He never goes to the Lord for protection, but Rehoboam knows one thing, that he has a lot of gold from his father, that his father accumulated from his rule and reign, because for a while there, Solomon was listening to the Lord and because of that, their country prospered greatly. As we said last week, there was as close as a trillion dollars coming in uh, to the land of Judah every year under Solomon's reign. So they were quite, quite wealthy as a nation. So they still have have some of this wealth within the temple. And I want to read the story for you. First Kings 14, look down at verse 25. And it talks about the fifth year of Rehoboam. And let's see what happens here. What happens here in the fifth year of Rehoboam, Shishak, the king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. And what he did was he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. And he took away everything. He also took away all the shields of gold that Solomon had made. Solid shields of gold. Just incredible sight to look at. But what King Rehoboam did, I want you to notice in verse 27, is that King Rehoboam made in their place shields of bronze to look like the shields of gold. And he committed them to the hands of the officer of the guard who kept the door of the king's house. And as often as the king went into the house of the Lord, the guards carried them and brought them back into the guard room. So what happens here? Well, this king comes in from Egypt and basically instead of raiding all of, of Judah and taking it over, he basically paid off the king with this gold for a time. For a time. It was just kinda, He was just kind of kicking the ball further down the field at this time. But for a time, he paid off the king. But what he did was this gold is gone now. And so the the glory, listen to me, the glory that was once in Jerusalem is now gone. And it's symbolic in these shields. Now, listen to me. When you would walk in, you would see these gold shields and there would be pomp and circumstance. It, It showed that God's hand was upon them. It showed them that they were a powerful nation, that God was leading them. But now it was all a farce. God's hand was off it. And now what he does is to try to just do time and and to make it look like it did in the past glory years. He takes these same shields, but now he uses something substandard that's not gold, but brass. And how many of you, when you were a kid, you knew when you got that ring, you put it on your finger and you thought it was gold until your finger turned green? Yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? You're looking right now, is my finger green? Is this real gold? Right? It wasn't the real thing. It, was good. It, it looked, maybe from a distance, it looked like the real thing. But when you got up close and you picked it up, you're like, this is not gold. This is, this is something that is fake. And so what, was, what Rehoboam was doing was perpetrating something that wasn't real. And it was a reflection of his very heart. God was not at the center of his heart anymore. So he was, perp- he was perpetrating something that was fake. It, it, it reminds me of when I went to... Um, I did an outreach at 84 Olympic Games when I was a teenager. And uh, we did some street witnessing. It was a really, really, really neat thing. It was I was a brand new Christian at the time. I was doing street witnessing. And it was just... It was a hoot. It was really fun. But did I just say hoot? I'm sorry. I just said hoot. Sorry. All the old peoples were like, cool. And all the young people were like, what's a hoot? Okay. Anyways. Um... So we were there and, uh, and we were witnessing. But we got to go to Universal Studios. And, and it, was, it was just interesting when you go to Universal Studios is watching some of these old TV shows like Leave it to Beaver. and stuff. Oh, I remember that street and they took you where this was and they took you the, uh, through where Jaws would come up and uh, the Ten Commandments where the water parted. And, and you're like, but it, when you get there, it's just a set. Everything on the front looks real, but when you go behind it, it's, it's just a set. There's nothing there. There's nothing behind it. And it reminded me of this Twilight Zone episode. If you guys remember, I just love the Twilight Zone. I just, the old Twilight Zone is just such a good episode. Rod, you know, with his cigarette. Anyways, okay. But anyways, it was just such a neat, neat, neat show. So... There's this Twilight Zone episode that reminds me of this. It, it was where these two people, uh, they wake up in this strange town. They were drinking too much the night before, and, and they wake up in this strange town, and they begin to walk around this town, and there's nobody there. And, and like everything they touch is like a prop. Like, they're, they're like, what, what is going on? And, and as they're walking through this town, they're trying to find somebody else, and they hear this little girl's laughter. Now, I'm going to give the whole thing away, so you haven't seen it. I'm sorry. This is a total spoiler alert right now, so just get over yourselves, okay? So I'm going to tell you the whole story, but watch it later if you can, because it's cool. Um, But these people hear this girl's laughter in the background. So they're like, well, somebody's got to be this little girl. So they get on this train, and they think they're going to get out of the town, but the train keeps going in a big circle back to the same town. So now they're panicking. They're running around. Then they, they look at the grass, and the grass is fake. It's just... It's just turf. And they look at the trees. The trees are fake. Nothing is real in the town until at the very end. This is spoiler because this is really cool. You hear this little girl. And her hand comes down. She's this huge giant. And these people are just puppets in her little play town. And come to find out at the end of the show, it's these humanoids from another planet, you know, that um, have used these people as their own little props in this girl's little town. And nothing was what it seemed to be in this town. And I began to think about this for a moment. I began to think about this in our life with Rehoboam exchanging the the, the gold shields for the bronze ones and, and, and trying to make everything look good on the outside. When in reality, it's just a prop. It's just a, it's not the real thing. It's, it's something that we put forth for people to look at. It's a facade. It's something we say, listen, I, I, I want you to think that my life is a lot better. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this facade up and I'm going to stiff arm and I'm going to make it look like it's good, but it really isn't. And we end up creating this fake world like Rehoboam did or like these two people in the twilight zone. And the problem is Christians, sad to say, we can kind of be the worst at this. Where we don't want anyone to know what's really going on because we're afraid that we're going to be judged. See, for Christians, it's it's a great thing. We understand that Christ has forgiven us of our sins and there's a joy that comes with that. And we understand that through God's grace we're saved through Jesus Christ and it's such a wonderful thing to know and to understand the great power of Jesus Christ and what he's gone through us what he's gone through for us. But the problem with Christians many times is that once we start living our lives and we start giving up the things that we need to give up in our lives, the things that we used to do that we don't do anymore. All of a sudden we start living this way and then all of a sudden we're like, "Well, I don't want anyone to think that I still struggle with stuff." Because if they think that I still struggle with stuff, then that means maybe I'm not that great of a Christian. If I'm not that great of a Christian, I don't want them to think that I'm any less than I am. So so I'll put on this facade. I'm going to put up my gold shield. And when people ask me how it's going, I know the right words to say. I know the praise the Lord. How you doing, brother? Praise the Lord. Brass shield. Right? How you doing, man? Well, What's going on in your life? Hey, I'm... I'm doing fine. Brass shield. I'm doing fine. I'm doing okay. And meanwhile, we're hurting. We're struggling. We're not doing that great. See, here's the upper story. Here's the upper story to this whole story. We absolutely need a perfect king to lead us. And that perfect king is Jesus Christ who fulfilled that role for us. We need a king that is going to be tenderhearted. We need a king that's going to show us grace. We need a king that's going to show us mercy. We need a king that's not going to put more pressure on us and more guilt and more condemnation and, and drive us deeper into our cave of condemnation and guilt. We need a king that's going to draw us out of those things. We need a king that's going to say, you know what? I already know what you're going through, I know your struggles. Would you just come to me and lay those things at my feet? I know your heart. I know what you're struggling with. Why are you running from me? Why are you putting up something fake and artificial when I'm the real thing? I'm the one, I'm the very one that can forgive you. I'm the very one that can bring healing to your life. Why are you running away? Why are you trying to be somebody that you're not? This is what Jesus says to every single one of us in this room today. Come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light you see what jesus says to every single one of us is every single one of us has burdens every single one of us has a yoke that we have to carry in our lives but jesus says if you understand anything about a yoke it was a yoke was placed on two oxen and what jesus says to you is i'm going to get in that yoke with you I'm going to bear it with you. You don't have to bear it on your own. And what we do is we go to stupid, cheap substitutes to try to cover up our shortcomings. When Jesus says, listen, I'm going to come inside that yoke with you. I know you're struggling. I know what you're going through. I know the temptation that you're going through. Will you bring me into that yoke with me and let me bear it with you? And let me give you my strength to help you through it. How many know that that temptation or that struggle is going to be there tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday? How many know that it just, it's going to be there? But Jesus says, listen, I want to walk with you through it to give you my strength. So that thing does not overcome you. That that thing doesn't deplete you that the guilt and the condemnation from your past doesn't overtake you so that you chase after some fake, false thing to tell the world, oh, I am doing okay, when you really aren't. Where it humbles us to say, Jesus, I need you and I need your strength in my life. And I want to be real and I want to be raw with you, Jesus. And I'm just going to confess these things to you and not try to polish them up, not try to make them something that they aren't, not try to justify them, but simply come before you and say, I've fallen short here, Jesus. And I need your strength, and I need you to come into this yoke with me. That's what He'll do for you. And so, as we come before the Lord's table today, I want you to realize that what this cross represents is the very sins that Jesus died for for you. He took them on His back, He took the burden on His back for you and for myself. So that you wouldn't have to carry him. And he takes that yoke off you, and he takes that burden of sin off you. That's the king that we serve today. Lowly in heart, tender hearted, full of mercy, that says, Come to me and lay that burden down. Don't try to polish it up. Don't try to justify it. Don't try to make it something that it isn't. Just come to me and lay that thing down and and let my strength and my healing flow over your life. For we're in Christ Jesus, there is no more condemnation, the word of God says. There's no more guilt of our past. It's covered through Jesus's beautiful sacrifice for you and I. And so as we go to the table of the Lord today, I don't know what you're battling with today. I don't know what you're struggling with today. But what the Apostle Paul tells us to do, he tells us to examine our hearts and, uh, and just to get our hearts right before the Lord. So as we worship, as, as we serve you communion, let's do that today. Let's just commune with God. Let's commune with Christ. And whatever that thing is in your life, just give it to him. And realize that through these emblems, it symbolizes that very thing that Jesus died for 2,000 years ago. And he wants to take it off your plate. He wants to take it off your back. He wants to erase it. As far as the east is from the west, so has he removed your transgressions from you. He wants to do that for you today. So let's reconnect with Jesus once again. And let's just be honest with him because he's waiting for you to come. Come, he says. Come. Come. That's all he says. He didn't say you got to do this. That He didn't even say, well, you got to first read through the whole whole Bible before you come. You got to first clean up your life before you come. No, Jesus, he don't play like that. Jesus just says, come. Will you just come? And stop trying to fix it yourself. Come to me. And I will give you rest for your souls. So Lord Jesus, we bow our hearts before you today. And as we take communion today, we come. We come and we recognize what you've done for us. We've come knowing that you've forgiven our sins. They've been paid for. The debt has been paid. So we come to you today and we ask for your forgiveness. And we recognize what these elements symbolize. Your body that was given for us blood that was shed for us. We are so grateful for that. So I pray for your healing and your forgiveness over every heart here today as we turn our lives over to you, Jesus. We love you. We thank you. You're such a good God. So we we remember today the great sacrifice you paid for us, and we do this by taking communion. And we remember that it's only through Jesus and through his blood that we can find healing and forgiveness. And it's his name and his name alone. We ask these things.